Now, if you've never been here in a service where Pastor Wynn and Gwen have been here and, and preached today, you're in for a real blessing, but I feel like I really, this morning, I feel like I need to introduce them so that, you know, you know, it's easy to, one of the, one of the most, one of the worst things you can do is to get the sin of familiarity. You hear what I'm saying? In other words, you just get so familiar with the service, so familiar with the people, so familiar with the guest speakers that, you know, it, it, you just take everything for granted. But I want you to understand something about the man of God that's going to speak to you here in just a minute. I've known Pastor Wynn for almost 30 years, and um, this is a man who for the past 50 years have been blazing through the whole world, doing amazing things, literally changed the worship scene in Wales and all of that part of, of England and the world. Somebody that God has used so mightily, raising up large churches and, and all over the world. And, and we're, we, we got to understand, years ago it was prophesied here that God would give us the best if we'd keep our hearts right. And Pastor Wynn and Gwen, they're, they're the best. They're, they're unbelievable men and women of God. Give them a hand clap, I'm telling you. It's an honor for us to even have them to be able to speak here and to, to be a part. When I look, I always just laugh because, you know, like when Brother Ivan's here and, and, and I'm looking around at us and we're, we're not that big of a church in numbers. Y'all are such blessings. But yet we get the greatest come in here. They could be in thousands, you know, thousands of seat auditoriums preaching. But God sends them here and connects us, and we love each other, and, and it becomes a relationship and a fellowship, and I'm so honored that God does that. And so uh, the other thing I wanted to say is I think it's interesting that God has brought him here on Father's Day because literally, you know, Pastor Wynn sits on the board of the church, and uh, as a father to all of y'all, as a father to me, he's so much older than I am, you know, I consider him a father. And so, so, you know, on Father's Day, we got one of the fathers here. Because, you know, the Bible says people don't have a lot of fathers. They don't listen to people. They don't submit to authorities, submit to teaching, submit to a father speaking. How many of y'all know as fathers, you told your kids things that they did that you told them not to do, and they paid a price for it, and then they came to you and said, oh, you were right. We shouldn't have done that. And you're like, I wish you to listen. Imagine it's the same way in the ministry. Pastor Wynn's here today to share with us and he's loving you as his children and wanting to see you grow and wanting to see you blessed, wanting to see, you know, an impartation into your lives. And because he, he is a father, he's been around for a long time. Hey, listen to me. Yeah, our age is something, but I want to tell you something. If you've been in the ministry for 50 years and you've not quit, you just think about that. <laughs> Pastored churches minister to people crazy people all over the world. People that were ugly to them, mean to them, stole from them. Hear what I'm saying? Man, the ministry's not easy. You think it's easy at court? Man, go look, go look at Jesus's life. Jesus is there and everybody thinks he's crazy. They're trying to kill him. They're, they're, they're trying to drag him through the mud and eventually they crucify him and say, well, we finally got rid of him. Well, it's the same like that for ministers. And here they've been there and to be faithful. And man, I have such high, high, high esteem and gratitude and love for people that are faithful and to be at it consistently for 50 years preaching the gospel making the sacrifice man i want to tell y'all something it's an honor to have them with us today amen so pastor Wynn, gwen whatever y'all are going to do this come on up y'all give them a hand clap matter of fact yeah give them a 
standing ovation. Good morning. I just want to say how wonderful and delighted it is to be back here. It's been seven years since I was last here. That's a long time, isn't it? And, um, you know, we just have to do what God's called us to do. And during that seven years, I had the wonderful opportunity to help raise our grandchildren. So um, it's a delight to be here. And I'm honored that, uh, to be able to travel once again with my love. So, yeah. Amen. Lovely. Thank you. Simply the best. I'm not sure I've ever had such a wonderful compliment in all my travels about being so old. I think the Bible says what you sow is what you reap. Just wait. Just wait. Your turn will come. I wrote to one of my spiritual daughters this morning over in England. And she wrote and said, thank you for being my spiritual dad. And she said some lovely complimentary things to me, you know, which it doesn't matter how many people say it to you. There's a part of you that just is shocked that the Lord would use you so incredibly in ways when you'd never thought when you started that you would even do anything. And I did. You know, you've heard my testimony. I, I had a, such a, a poor self-esteem image. I was poor, poor physically, poor men, uh, fi financially. I was poor mentally. I didn't like to study. I didn't like to read. I didn't like to do anything. I was shy. The only thing I knew I could do was sing. And so my father taught me how to sing and put me in places. But I, I began to think that my self-esteem was wrapped up in my talent, not my person. And that's a real danger not just for a musician, it's a danger for every single person to think that your gift is more important than you. You know, we sung today something I've taught for 45 years. You sang about a, a song about the, uh, praise, uh, for praising God for what he's done in our lives. And that's true. That's what we're supposed to do because praise is connected through the whole Bible of what God has done to you and God has done for you and in you. But you don't worship for what he's done. You worship the person. And it's because of your recognition of who he is and your love for him and your honor for him. That is the right way around. Not what he gives you. Do we love him whether he'd ever give us anything? Would you love him for just being who he is? Would you love him or does, does, do you only love him as it were because he gets you out of a mess? Pays some bills, gives you financial he uh, miracles, heals your body, answers some prayers. Or would you love him whether he did nothing for the rest of your life? And that's the key, isn't it? We know he's not going to leave you there. You know, you know he can't do that. He's going, to, he's going to bless you. He's going to seek you out to bless you. But the key of all growth spiritually in the, in the, in the church has got to be connected to my loving him and honor him for who he is, not what he does. Having Robert in my life, just having Robert in my life has made my life worthwhile. Not because he's done anything for me, and he has, he's done a thousand things that you would never know about, but he has. But just having him in my life gives me a quality of life I never ever dreamt I'd have. And I can tell you now, Dwayne and I think exactly the same of you. Every single one of you in this church means so much to us and we love you for who you are not for your gifts not for your talents not for your messages not because you give finances to help us but because of who you are and because of who you are you won our hearts 
We couldn't think of another place in the world we'd want to be other than with our children and our grandchildren. Gwenda got out the car. This is the first time she's been here in seven years. She got out the car, and as she's walking around, looking around, she said, you know what, I don't feel I've even been away because it's home. It is. So thank you for that, and let, let us honor people in our lives, not for what they say, not for what they do, but for who they are. They're gifted of God into our life. Parents, children, siblings. <laughs> That's got to be the hardest one. Right. Well, not on my sister's side. My sister's side is my sister's a dream. I just absolutely adore her, you know. But siblings often have rivalry, don't they? You know, but it's still your brother or your sister. And guess who gave them to you? There must be a reason. And it could be about changing you, not you changing them. I'm, uh, I was 70 years old this, this April. And uh, for those of you who remember, I, I'm, ever since I went to Bible school, I met a, a, an incredible teacher of the Word of God who spent 30 years with Watchman Nee. And he, uh, he taught me how to read the Bible in a way that no man, I've never ever heard anybody else in all these years ever teach the same thing. But he just did this to me. He said, when, you know when you read your Bible and you like you go through Exodus or Genesis or, or Matthew and you see the genealogy and all the names and all. I, he said, honestly now, what do you do? I said, well, uh, I said, I just go, <laughs> turn the page because, I mean, it's a bunch of names. It's a bunch of numbers. You know, 42,373 were in the, the house of Judah, 44,000 were in the house of Ish, whatever. You know, and, and you go, yeah, of use. He said, well, that's the problem. It's as much God's word as Psalm 23. And I stopped. He said, see, God works in numbers and colors and pictures and shapes and sizes, not just English words. He said, when, if you don't know what a number means, you'll miss everything God's saying about that number. And about that situation. If you don't know what a color means in the Bible, because the Bible will tell you what the color means. And so he started me on a journey that I still, I still love today. So back in April, literally the day before, I suddenly went, I'm going to be 70 tomorrow. And I went, oh, I don't think I know what the number 70 means. So I looked it up. It means liberty. It means freedom. What were you singing tonight? Today, you were singing songs about liberty. You were singing songs about freedom. Do you know why? I was born, this is fascinating, I was born on Good Friday, April the 3rd. I was born again on Easter Sunday. The latest date that they've discovered that Jesus, they believe Jesus died, is April the 3rd. Yeah. There's a whole load of things that's like that in my life. I can't go into them all because there's like a dozen or 15 numbers and situations like that that are so connected to my walk with God. So when I came 70, I just said, then Lord, that means I'm going to have a more liberated ministry than I've ever had before. That means I'm going to see more people liberated than I've ever had before. I'm going to see more people captive set free than I've ever had before. I'm going to see more bodies released from sickness and disease and ailments than I've ever had before. I'm going to see people see their chains break off. So I come to you this weekend, and I only have one thing to say to you all, all the time I'm going to be here. Come on out, for the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to Bind up the brokenhearted and set the captive free. Bring recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty all who are oppressed of the devil. And proclaim God's favorable day. And the, the terminology that was written by Isaiah when he wrote that 
was futuristic. But when Jesus stood up in his own synagogue, in his local synagogue, and said, Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. It went from being futuristic to reality of now. It is fulfilled. The chains have been broken. The doors are open. There is nothing that can keep you in. There is the only thing that will keep you in is you. There is no devil on planet earth that can ever keep you where you are if you decide to believe Jesus and walk on out. Because that's all evangelists are about. That's all that the preaching of the word is about. To get you to stand up and understand one thing. You don't have chains. You don't have a prison. You don't have a jailer. You don't have anything that can keep you saved, satisfied, and stuck. You have a Savior who has delivered you from all captivity. He's delivered you from all the captivity of sin and death. He has delivered you. The only thing that will keep you there is your stinking thinking. Turn to somebody and say, ah, I don't have any of that whatsoever. <laughs> so right now, I want to sing a song for you that I haven't sung for you for a long, long, long time. I think it was the first song I ever sung when I came here. It came from the time after Anne, my wife, died. Went to be with the Lord and I was grieving. I was struggling because she was gone. I was missing her. I wasn't struggling with the Lord. I wasn't, I wasn't bitter towards the Lord or angry with him whatsoever. I was just struggling with the thought of living the rest of my life without her. And the Lord began to walk into the room and, and literally unpacked my life and began to deliver me right there and then from the power of all grief by changing my perspective. He changed the way I looked at death. He changed the way I, I, I looked at someone leaving. I had always looked at that, that they were leaving me behind, as it were. And the Lord said, yes, that's your problem. You're looking at it from your perspective. You're not looking at it from hers. She is enjoying every prayer she's ever prayed, every faith word she's ever stood on. She's not sick anymore. There's no death in her whatsoever. She's not dead. She's alive. She's more alive now, Wynn, than you've ever known her in your life. And she is surrounded by a company of people who will love her just like me. If you paid her a million, offered to pay her a million pounds, she would not come back. And the bad news is when she's not missing you. And believe it or not, that was the, that's the hardest thing he could have ever said to me. It was, it, it, was the, it was the wound of a brother who loved me enough to tell me because I would have been so self-centered. And from that moment, I began to read in the Word. He led me to Chronicles where it tells me of David dancing before the Ark of the Covenant. And what I never understood until I, I began to read it and study it, the actual Hebrew language implies David is not dancing on his own. He's dancing with an unseen partner. He was dancing with Jesus. He danced, Jesus danced him from the lowland to the highland, from the place of brokenness to the place of wholeness, from the place of being empty to the place of being full, from the place of defeat to the place of victory. Day, the Lord danced David all the way. And I wrote a song called Hearing His Presence. And I want to tell you that all of my life, I always dreamed of singing. I always dreamed of being a, an entertainer. I became an entertainer. That wasn't an issue. But when, when I became a full-time musician and I was playing in the clubs and playing on television and radio, the one thing I always wanted to do was write some songs and stand in front of an orchestra and sing them. And that never happened. It was a dream. I kept before the Lord. And of course, everything changed. I was called into the ministry to preach the gospel. 
to raise up churches, to stir up churches, create unity in the body of Christ in Wales. And the Lord used me mightily. And, I, and in a sense, I, I put that dream on a shelf. But it never went away. It's a dream that I always wanted to do it. And then back a few years ago, Gwenda and I were in Spain on vacation with our daughter and our grandson, Elijah. And I, I'd said to the Lord the day before, you know, Lord, I, I'm 60-something, and when you get older, your voice begins to lose its ability to keep going at the, the level of what it can be. But you've never put out that dream of standing in front of an orchestra and singing. If you want me to do that, and it's part of the plan, you're going to have to do something quick. I am not joking. The next morning, I had a text message from somebody in England who I hadn't seen since they were 18 and they were now 40-something. I won't say his name because I'm going to tell you something personal about it. And I think maybe it's been recorded or whatever. So he could get to hear this. So I don't want the name going out there. I want to express what happened. He was going through a trauma. And I hadn't seen him since he was 18. And he, had, he was a, a saxophonist who ended up coming and helping us and working with us on some of our outreach ministries and some of our unity ministries. He came and joined in as part of the team and, and then went off to university. We never saw him again. But here he is messaging me. He said, I was in a mess at 18 years of age and you helped me out. I'm back in a mess right now. And I've just had you on my heart. Would you speak to me and help me again? So I explained I was in Spain and we arranged for him to come and see us. He came down to Wales. He told me the whole story of his family falling apart, his wife just turning on him, wanting him out of the house, starting a legal case so he couldn't see his children or spend any time with his children. He was even, believe it or not, banned by the local uh, police and local council from even living in the same town. It was traumatic. It was something I had never seen before. It was just amazing. And he was going through this, and we prayed with him and counseled him and encouraged him to the best of our ability. And just as he was about to leave, he turned to me and just said, when do you, do you still write your own songs? I said, oh, yeah. I said, I've got loads. Uh, and he said, well, you've never done another album? I said, I've never had the finances to do another album since, since I left the church because it costs so much to do an album, as you can imagine. And I said, and I've never had the arranger, I've never had the producer that I feel comfortable with who will take my songs and produce it the way I want them produced. And he said, well, what have you been writing about? And I told him the story of the song that I had when Anne died. He said, wow, can I hear it? So I said, sure. So I went and got my guitar and I went to start singing it and he pulls out his phone. He said, do you mind if I record it so I can listen to it going up in the car? I said, sure. So I sang the song. Give him a hug, sent him on his way. And about 10 days later, I get a, an email from him with a, a link to Dropbox. And there's a, he said, you need to go to Dropbox and download it and have a listen. Tell me what you think. I click the Dropbox and back down, click the button. It's my song, orchestrally arranged. So I listened it, burst into tears. I wrote to him and said, Jay, where's, who's done this? He said, me. I said, what? He said, me. That's what I went to university for. I became an orchestral arranger. And he began to tell me a story about how he's been doing it on television. He did it for top celebrities over in Las Vegas. Was it Le Cirque, Le Cirque, wherever it's called? That was all his arrangements and music. And he had taken my song, and in 10 days, because what they do now is that an orchestral arranger does it all on the laptop or the computer, and then prints the button, presses the button, and all the parts are printed off. 
then they take an orchestra in the studio and they have one rehearsal and then they play it, record it. He said, we can do it in Apple Studios if you want. Do you know where Apple Studio is? It's where the Beatles used to record in London. He said, we can use the BBC Philharmonic Orchestra. They're all friends of mine. <laughs> I just wanted you to hear the song. Here in his presence. presence I love to stay here in your presence never rushing away here in your presence I am content to be who you made me to be. Can a bit more track? Here in your presence, my faith always grows. Because here in your presence, your grace overflows. Here in your presence, I am addressed and can be who you meant me to be. And here's where you kiss me and you heal me with your touch. And here's where I know You love me oh so much And here by your side I truly belong Here where we are Here in your presence, I love to dance. Because here in your presence is the greatest romance. And here I know I'm chosen on purpose, not by chance. And here's where you kiss me And you heal me with your touch And here's where I know You love me oh so much And here by your side I truly belong 
And here I know I'm chosen on purpose, not by chance, to be who you made me to be, to be all you meant me to be. All you said I could be <laughs> You're the first people in the world to hear that. My friend Jay wanted me to send him some more songs because he wanted to do more, because he wanted to make my dream come true. <sighs> I hadn't done anything to deserve it or earn it. Just be who he meant me to be, a son who loved him with all my heart. That was it. So I sent him a, a song, probably the second song I ever sung here all those years ago. It was called His, no His Love. I've got the track with me, but it's nowhere near finished because he sent me the first draft of it to sing along to, but then all the grief came crashing down on his head and he nearly lost it. And right now he's not in a state to even think about doing anything. But you know, before a storm, the Lord always sends a prophet. He always sends a prophetic word. He always encourages you because it's that what you hang on to before the storm, as you go through the storm. Listen to the words of these songs, and the words of this song could be ministering to any of us here today at any given time in our life. And if it is, it's the Lord speaking to you today or singing to you through me. But you not, might know other people who are, going to, uh, who are going through the storms, and you can pray for them as you listen to me singing this song. It's very bland at the beginning, so be, forgive me, but it gets there. When people seem to let you down And fill you full of pain His love will pick you off the floor So that you can begin again And when you're feeling incomplete Empty deep inside 
His love will be a castle strong so that you can run and hide. His love is your answer. His love is the way. It bears no grudge, nor keeps running away. His love never ceases to amaze me. His love draws me close and it keeps me near. His love never questions my motive. His love, perfect love, casts out all fear. So when people seem to let you down and fill you full of pain, His love will pick you off the floor so that you can begin again. And when you're feeling incomplete, oh, you're empty deep inside. His love can be the castle strong so that you can run and hide. Because His love is your answer. His love is the way It bears no grudge, nor keeps running away. His love never ceases to amaze me. His love draws me close and it keeps me near. His love never questions my motive. His love, perfect love, casts out all fear. His love, His love never lets you go. His love, His love never lets you go. His love, His love will never let you go. His love, His love never lets you go. His love, it will never, it will never, never let you go. His love, it will never, it will never, never let you go. His love, His love 
never lets you go His love His love never lets you go His love it will never it will never never let you go His love it will never it will never never let you go never let you Thank you. Not only are you the first people in the world to hear me sing that with that, that track, it's the first time I've sung it. I decided this morning it was so what the Holy Spirit wanted to say to you. Why would his love never let you go? And why would he come into your life to dance you with an intimate dance from the lowlands to the highlands? Because he's a daddy. And that's what daddies do. Fathers never abandon their children. Oh, I know men have, but a father wouldn't. A father never leaves a child isolated and lost. They will do everything in their power to find them and reach them and rescue them because that's what fathers do.
You know, you can't love anyone till you've first been loved. I didn't say that. I, I, I wish I had. I wish I'd found that. I just read it in the Bible. You can't love until you've first been loved. And the measure of the love that you are able to show to someone else is determined by the measure of love you've received. If you receive man's kind of love, then you'll love the way man loves. Because that's what you do. You reproduce exactly what you received. You do unto others what they did unto you. But when Jesus comes into your life, he does something that's breathtakingly different than anything else that can ever happen in your life. There is no perfect father on earth. There's no perfect mother on earth. There's no perfect son, daughter, grandchild in the world. There's no perfect boss. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect pastor. There's no perfect worship leader. There's no perfect anyone. But when Jesus comes into your life, you receive someone who is perfect, who is absolutely spotless, who cannot lie, who cannot change his nature because he's always the same yesterday and today and forever. And if he once loved, he always loves. If he's once faithful, he's always faithful. Because when he comes into your life, he is going to make a demand on you and me. He's not going to say, I want to change to be just like you. He's going to say, I want you to change to be just like me. <laughs> I'm preaching better than you're shouting already. <laughs> Yet we deal with people and we see their imperfections. Well, go take a look in the mirror. If you want to find imperfection, there it is. Now, what's the issue? Did God love you in an imperfect state and forgive you and get on with you? Hello? Did he know it was going to be a lifelong task? Was it going to be a lifelong journey of forgiveness? Yes. He's not like a man, so he doesn't sit there going, oh my God, he's done it again. <clears throat> he's not like that at all. He's not like me and you. He doesn't look at that. He just scratches it off. He says, one more. Do it again, do it again, do it again. And he is relentless. His grace, his love, his mercy, his compassion is relentless. He will make it hard for someone to not receive it. He will make it hard for someone to go to hell. The church will let him slip away in a basket, but the, but the Lord doesn't. He will make it hard, as hard as he can possibly be. He will not put their arm up their back and demand that they love him, but he will make it as hard and as plain as possible to them, that he loves them. He cares for them just the way they are. Oh, and I know I'm going to blow some people out the water, Christians in America and Christians all over the world. He couldn't possibly love a gay. Yes, he can. Oh, he couldn't possibly love a murderer. Yes, he can. He couldn't possibly. Yes, he can. Because if he can do it to you, he can do it to anyone. Because you are a murderer. Believe it or not, it was because of your sin that Jesus went to the cross. 
So you were part of the condemnation team. The problem is when Christ comes into your life, you're supposed to get rid of the condemnation. At least say, ouch, if it's hurting. (laughs) I find it so bizarre. People fight and argue in families and in churches, in soccer clubs, in, in baseball teams. It doesn't matter with politicians. Everywhere you go, you get people arguing. And what gets me is not one of them's perfect. So what are you arguing about? Have an opinion. Yeah, but don't argue about it. Why would you argue about something when you're not perfect? So if you're not perfect, you can't be seeing it perfectly, can you? And can I tell you, when stuff goes on in your life and you struggle and you get the pain, which is what I sang about, the people dish out pain. Well, you did too. Have you ever? You don't have to put a hand up. You don't have to say an amen. Just, just acknowledge it inside. Have you ever spoken derogatory about somebody behind their back? Just go silent if you have. Yeah? Then you're a murderer. Because it's called stabbing in the back in the Bible. If you can't say it to their face, don't say it. At least love them enough to tell them the truth to their face. But remember this. It may be you that's wrong. <laughs> What's my message for today? It's a pretty good one, isn't it? Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost notice the emphasis is on the word was not is now every evangelist in the world i've ever known and there's nothing wrong with what i'm about to say they've they've taken that passage and said jesus came to seek and to save the sinner doesn't actually say that it's true he did but they weren't lost to god god knew exactly where they were they're lost to themselves they're lost to their identity they're lost to the to the truth. They're lost to what Jesus has done for them. They're lost to the the fact that they were born in sin and they're going to go to hell. Yes, that's all lost to them. But there's something even greater than that that Jesus came to, to get back. Jesus died upon a cross, not just to die to get everybody saved, as it were. That's wonderful. He came to do something much more significant and deeper than that. And most people will go, well, what can be more significant than that? Your heart connection to a father. It was prophesied at the very last lines of the Old Testament that the spirit of Elijah would come again and turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers or else a curse will remain on the land. So we can instantly see why the devil would like you to hate your father, despise your fathers, whether they be spiritual or whether they be natural. Your father figures. He would love it. He would love you to dishonor and speak badly about the President of the United States, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, the President of somewhere else. He would like you to do that. Why? Because the moment you use your tongue, you unleash a spiritual force. And you unpick the spiritual ability of God's blessing coming on you just a little bit. If you speak negatively about your father a lot, you will find that you lose blessings. Jesus came to seek and to save the heart-to-heart connection between a father and his children. Because it's the most important thing in all of life. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you in the land. So in other words, we see the right connection with the father is so important. Does a father have to be perfect? No more than you do as a son. No more than you do have to, to be a, as, a, as a daughter, whatever, or grandchild. Does the president have to be perfect? Well, no more than the voter that put him there. I want you to know there's no Republican ever going to save America. There's no Democrat that's ever going to save America. There's no preacher that's ever going to do it. There's only one person that's going to do it. Amen. (laughs) My daughter 
on one of her mad moments, she'd just become 18. And something happens to a young person when they become 18, seemingly. They suddenly lose the plot. And she came in, I don't know, late, lot, a lot later than normal. She came in in the early hours of the morning, not expecting me to be there. She thought I was away on a trip. But I came back, didn't tell her. And I parked the car around the corner out of sight. So she thought there was nobody in, but I was sitting in the dark. So when she walked through the door, <laughs> I stood up. And I just said, hi, darling, how are you? I mean, she nearly lost it, you know. She just nearly fainted. She was so scared, you know. And then I just started to talk to her about her timekeeping and where she'd been, you know. I knew where she'd been and, and knew what she'd been up to, to a degree. Fathers have this inbuilt sense. I don't know. I've always said to people, don't ask how. I don't know. I just know what they're up to. And I know when it's wrong. And I know when it's dangerous, something inside called the gift of fatherhood begins to make me aware that I can be on the other side of the world and know my daughter or my son are in danger. I can know it. And so my daughter stood up to her five foot ten inches tall with her shoes on and just pushed back her arms and said, I'm 18. I don't need your permission. <laughs> and I just smiled. She, I don't think she... she I think it more freaked her that I smiled, that I didn't get annoyed. I said, oh, 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 oh. I said, no, you don't. You're absolutely right. You're 18. I said, the, the problem is that you think that a, you think permission is greater than blessing. It's not true. Blessing is more important. Keeping the blessing of a father, keeping the blessing of the fathers, keeping the blessings of, of God the Father is way more important than having permission. Because a father's blessing covers you like a canopy. It will protect you when you don't even know you're in danger. It will protect you when he's 2,000 miles away, somewhere up in an airplane. It will protect you because there is something on the Father that the Father himself put upon the fathers on the earth, that this might be the way it is in the earth, that the blessings of God might flow to the fathers and through the fathers to their families and to their grandchildren and to the whole inherited world. Because Abraham was a father and God called him a father of many nations before he'd even given birth to one. He couldn't even... <laughs> and he said the wrong thing then. He, <laughs> he couldn't even... Get excited about his wife. There was nothing there. She looked like an old road map. He looked like worse one. There was nothing in their bodies that would ever inspire them for him to be able to come there and give her a baby. So when it was all gone, God told him a principle. Tomorrow morning, wake up. No longer call yourself Abram. Call yourself Abraham. That is emphasized. It's the word because it's a laugh. You want me to walk around when somebody says to me, Hi, Abraham, morning. No, 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 no. Abraham from now on, please. Imagine Pastor Robert walking in. You go, morning, Pastor Robert. You say, oh, oh, no, no, no. It's Roberto. <laughs> what? God told me to call myself Roberto. So it's Roberto. <laughs> oh, okay. Would you remember straight away? No. Ten minutes later, you turn, Pastor Rob, oh, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, what do you say? Was that Roberto, 200 times a day, Abraham had to confess something that wasn't in the natural true. Repeatedly, over and over and over. Do you know what happened? That fathering spirit came on him, and he became a father. 
and out of his one son, he became the father of many nations. He was raised up the whole generation of nations in Israel. And God called him the father of the faith. Because the blessing of God on Abraham because of his faith is given to us. My God, it gives him the ability to become what he couldn't become. Can I tell you, you start calling your father a mighty man of God. You start calling him wonderful. You start calling him the things you don't want to call him. And guess what happens? Well, you're in line with God. God calls things that are not as though they were. I don't know if you... A few years ago, Gwenda and I were blessed. And we were able to, to order for the first time in our ministry a brand new car. This, this is only well, 10 years ago, maybe 10, 11 years ago. For the first time in our, my life and in my marriage, we had never had a brand new car to the, for the ministry. And the Lord blessed us with a brand new car. And it was being delivered to the house. And so when the guy turns up with the car, I run down and open the car door. I want to get in it. I want to see it. I want to drive it, for goodness sake. And he's trying to tell me what everything does. I don't want him to tell me what everything does. I just want to drive the car. So I'm being polite and nice. Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, fine. And then he hands me one of these, a key fob. Well, I'd never seen one. And he handed me this key fob. And I looked at him and said, what's that? He says, the key. I said, well, where's the key? He said, no, no, no. He says, it's, it's, it's digital. It's a digital key now, Mr. Goss. You don't need it. In fact, you don't need it in your hand. Put it in your pocket, and we'll lock the door. I'll show you now. And he pressed the button on the door. The door's locked. The wing mirror's folded in. Everything closed off. The lights went off. Walked away. He said, here's the key pop. Put it in your pocket. Now walk up and press that button. He said, as you put your hand on the handle, the car will recognize it's you. So I walked over, and as I put my hand on the car handle, I felt so, oh, power, man power you know I thought it was amazing I couldn't wait to go I said goodbye to the guy signed the forms ran upstairs to Gwenda I said oh this is magnificent come on put your shoes and coat on we're going for a ride and, and so we went off and we drove around the coast and we had a wonderful ride and so happy I said let's go celebrate let's go and have a meal in that restaurant and so we went to this restaurant by a mall parked the car and it was like today you know light and sunny which is rare in Wales but it was light and sunny, and so we went in. We had such a wonderful time that when we came out, it was pitch black. But I didn't care. I got the master key. As I walked towards the car, watch this, Gwen. <gasps> Nothing. So I thought, oh, maybe I didn't do it properly. Walk back. Nothing. Pulled the handle, pressed the button. Nothing. I did it 20 times. I went round the other side thinking, okay, maybe there's something wrong on that side. I'll try, try the passenger side. I went on the passenger side. Nothing. I went to the tailgate. Nothing. I... Pressed every button I could see on the, on the key fob. Nothing. Nothing was working at all. 40 minutes later, I'm saying to myself, my God, it's too late to phone the rescue people. We're going to have to take a cab home and come back for it in the morning, tell the garage to fix it, etc. And I was so annoyed. And I thought to myself, this is stupid. There's got to be a way for us to open this car. If this key fob goes wrong, there's got to be a way. So Gwenda says, let me have a look at the key fob. Well, you know what we are like men, don't you? No, no, it's okay. I know what to do. I know. It's nothing. There's nothing you can fix. It's, I've pressed every button. And, and she just says, give me the key fob. So I give her the key fob. And she said, what's this silver thing on the end? I said, what silver thing? I said, I don't know. A piece of, you know, it makes it look good. She said, do you think it might, if we pressed it? And she pressed it, and out popped a key. 
A key was on the inside just in case of an emergency that I didn't know was there. It was a key. So I used the key and opened the door. I felt about three inches tall. My wife, bless her, made sure I was three inches tall. <laughs> For 24 hours, she didn't give up on telling me how wonderful she was. And <laughs> so <laughs> we took the car to the garage, told him the story. They said, oh, really? Took the car in. Took the fob in, put it all on the machine, came back. Okay, it's working now, Mr. Goss. I said, well, what was the issue? He said, oh, I don't know. He said, it's just the key fob wasn't talking to the car, and the car wasn't talking. They weren't connected. They weren't talking. I remember thinking, that'll preach. And it does, doesn't it? What the devil wants you to do is stop talking to God. He wants you to stop having some sort of intimate relationship. Oh, no, he doesn't want to stop you praying, praying for all those people who need to be prayed for. Oh, carry on. No, he doesn't mind you praying for all those prayer lists, the new car, the new house, the, the, the future husband, the future wife, the amount of children you want, all those things. No, that's not what he wants to stop. He knows, he knows that that's such a shallow level of communication. What he wants is the dangerous one. It's the heart-to-heart, -heart, intimate, loving conversation between a father and a son who loves him. And when I say son, I mean female sons as well. You know, in the Bible, it's not gender at all. It's talking about the right-hand son of the father, the highest position. And the devil would love you to get so upset by something that you stop having that intimate relationship with the father. And can I tell you, he'll do it in families too. He will try and cause such division in families and in church families because he knows one thing. If there's no connection and the connection has been broken, then all the power that the father has is dormant. All the ability of what God could do is dormant. All the blessings that could flow are dormant. They put on hold. He hasn't changed. No, but the connection is gone. And when the connection is gone, he can have all the blessings that he wants and wants to give them to you. But the blessing has been disconnected because of your offense, because of your anger, because of your taking of sides that shouldn't have been taken, because you, 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 got angry with someone, you became bitter with something, you resented something, you got so mad that you would just do anything. And the devil's going, go on, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. In fact, he'll give you every day as many illustrations that you want to get offended. What he won't tell you is what Ivan used to preach years and years ago. Offense isn't always given, but it is always taken. So the issue is not the offender. The issue is the one who takes the offense. Jesus took no offense. They nailed him to a cross. He took no offense. Why? He knew his father was in more control than anybody else. He knew the father could get him off that cross at any single time. Any single moment, he could have done it. But he yielded to the Father, and he died in the flesh so that the connection could be.
be made again that the father and his son in all the planet and over all the planet in every continent on every country in every tribe in every little group they will all have the liberty and the freedom so that they could be connected to him and the power of God's life would flood into the earth again because it was that that Adam lost he lost the divine connection of intimacy. There was no altar in the Garden of Eden. There was no blood sacrifice in the Garden of Eden. There was no lifting hands and singing songs in the Garden to show I'm in worship. It's lifestyle. It's my kind of life of loving my father more than myself and loving him so much that I want to honor him with words and lifestyle. And the price of all great relationships is death to self. That's the only way. So, you know, sometimes it's just better to be wronged and remain in relationship and give it to Jesus. Why? Well, because you've been on the other side quite a few times. And Jesus, thankfully, didn't abandon you. That's why I wrote that song, His Love. And in it, it was because I wanted to cry tonight, today as I was singing it, because it takes me back to the time where I wrote the song. And he said to me, when? I will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. I will never judge your motives. Just love me and stay there and we will be fine. Everything else. Can I tell you? It's the simplest, easiest lesson he ever gave me and it works. To live trusting him with all those that stab me in the back. I don't have to defend myself. To trusting, and Robert said it, I've had stuff stolen. I've had people try to hijack the church from me and take the church. I didn't take offense at all. I told Robert last night, a lady came in and she said, if you don't sort this issue, I'm going to take the church from you. <laughs> and I just put my pen down and I looked at it. I said, wow, that's a big statement. Okay, off you go. And she looked at me. Well, you, you're not mad? I said, mad? Why would I be mad? No. Of course, I'm not mad because if you can do it, you let me out of a, out of a problem because God, that would prove to me that God never called me to do it because Jesus said, nobody takes them from me. Well, it's the same principle. If God gave them to me, you can't, no, nobody else can take them from me because I'm the shepherd. So I said, but if you go ahead and do it and they go with you, whew, thank you. You saved me from killing myself. I said, but if they don't go with you, you're in real problems. Because you're not rejecting me and challenging me. You're challenging the, the, the choice of God. You know, when God brings people into your life, it's his choice. He doesn't actually ask your opinion. Can I, can I, can I be honest? You can tell Ivan, he, he won't be mad. First, thing I, first time I met Ivan, we both ended up in Ireland doing a conference. I thought he was mad. I really did. I, I thought, who is this lunatic? Can I use that guitar? Sure. Somebody says, he picks it up. 
Turn the volume up. Like the heavy metal person. You know. Ram, 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 ram. For a good on, oh, it must be five or six minutes. You know, embarrassing minutes. It goes so long and so far, every, everyone is sinking down the seat thinking, what the heck is he doing? He stops, puts it down, and doesn't say a word. He just says, good morning, everybody. Let's read probably it's Isaiah 64. And we all go, what was that? What was that? And I turned to Donal, my special son. I said, who is this guy? And he said, hang on. I promise you, he's not mad. He's great, honestly. <laughs> and then he reads the scripture. And he says, everyone stand up. So we all stood up. Reluctantly on my part, I have to tell you. Reluctantly thinking, what is he going to get me to do now? He starts singing, never seen a butcher eating a moving cow. Never seen a butcher eating a moving cow. Never seen a butcher. Come on, everybody. Never seen a butcher. And as everybody starts to sing, then he says, come on, march around the building. And about a hundred Irish people, and I mean, this would never happen in Ireland. And they're all marching around. Never seen a butcher eating a moving cow. Yes, never seen a butcher. We get all the way, he gets all the way around. He gets them to stand on the chair and start shouting. Never seen a vulture. Well, this went on for about 25 minutes. He asked everyone to sit down. Today's message is keep moving. And Dono, my spiritual son, turned to me and said, You okay? I said, This man's anointed. I said, Nobody could get Irish people to do that. Unless they were anointed of God. <laughs> but you could take an offense. And I'm finishing with this. Jesus, when he went to his local synagogue, stood up. They handed him the scroll of Isaiah. And he spoke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bring the brokenhearted, bring a sight to the broken. Bind up the brokenhearted, bring recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty all who are oppressed of the devil, and proclaim the favorable day of the Lord. If he'd have just stopped there, everything would be fine. They'd have all gone, oh yes. Yes, Lord. There's coming a Messiah. There's coming one who's going to fulfill that prophecy. And he's going to have the spirit of the Lord upon him. Oh, yes. What wonderful reading by this young boy. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing and sits down. And they all know what he means. I'm him. I'm the coming Messiah that you've all been waiting for. I'm the one that he was prophesying about. I'm in your midst right now. And I'm declaring to you, it's done. He hasn't been to the cross yet, but he's declaring it's done. Outside, the crowds are going wild with enthusiasm, shouting, he's come, he's come. Oh, my God, the Messiah, it's him. Oh, my God. Inside, daggers. Daggers are drawn. They want to kill him. Who the heck did they think he Isn't this Mary's boy? Do you understand what they mean by that? The illegitimate boy, the one that's, you know, she said was of God. Yeah, yeah, right. Isn't it just a carpenter's boy? Yeah, see what they're doing? They're pulling God's person right down to their level instead of letting God's person lift them up to theirs. God doesn't send people in your life to bring you down but to raise you up.
Every word he sends is to raise you up. Every preacher is to raise you up. Every worship leader and musician that stands on this platform. And thank God, prophecies at last are coming to pass. Look how many are coming on this platform. And how skillful and anointed they are. But let me tell you now, their purpose is to lift you up. So you can take your eyes off your feet and put them on him. Because they should never, ever have wandered. If you keep your eyes on him, you can't keep your eye on a storm. If you keep your eye on him, you'll never be looking at a Goliath. And I'm telling you now, all through your life, the devil's tactic is always try to pull somebody down in your eyes. And to pull them down in your eyes is really trying to push you up and elevate yourself in their, your own. Get down off that ladder. Stay down where Jesus lives in a place called humility. Who never, being God himself, never took that upon himself like as if it was some thing to be proud of. God has changed you. God has transformed you into the likeness of his own son. He's reconnected you to his own heart. So all the power that Jesus can walk in, you and I can walk in. Everything, the blessings of Jesus are now the blessings. Don't worry about Abraham's blessings. You worry about Jesus' blessings. They're all for you. And all the devil is trying to do is break the connections. Break the connections. If he can't break the one between you and God, he'll try and break the one between man and man, husband and wife, father and son, brother and sister, family to family, church to church. I once preached here in the early days, the message of my book, Don't Kick the Donkey, Ride It, and Alignment for Assignment. And I talked about how Jesus changed his appearance six times after he came out of the tomb. He literally changed his appearance because they didn't recognize him. And he kept changing it so they couldn't recognize him. And he was making a demand. What was he doing it for? To make a demand on the disciples and the apostles to change their perspective of him. No, I'm not Jesus of Nazareth. I was Jesus of Nazareth. I had a Jesus of Nazareth body. And I looked like him for 33 and a half years. But the day you carried me in that tomb, he was gone. He never was seen ever again. And the Lord of all glory came out. The problem is you don't understand who he is. So in the next six weeks, I am going to show you what the Lord of all glory looks like. What he does, how he does it. I'm going to mess your theology up. I'm going to mess your culture up. I'm going to mess your knowledge up. I'm going to mess your physics and your maths. I'm going to mess up your whole concepts. And make you realize I'm greater than all of them. And I want you to learn to use your spiritual eyes and see me as I am, not who you want me to be, not who you think I should be. And there's the key. There's the key. Stop wanting someone else to be what you want them to be. You be who you're supposed to be and let God deal with them. God, my goodness. So let's just think. Jesus ascended on high. The Father shut the door. said, Jesus... You're not going to know what's going on in heaven, uh, on earth. Not gonna, nobody's going to let you know for the next two, three thousand years, whatever it is, before we send you back. You can't know anything. Imagine Jesus not knowing what's going on on earth. Imagine he doesn't know what's going on in the church. Imagine he doesn't even know there's a church in a utopia called Living Waters. Imagine he didn't know. But he comes to the Father and says, I can't wait. I can't wait anymore. Please, please, please. Just let me go and have a look. Let me just go down, have a visit, and come straight back. I just want to see. 
And the father goes, okay, open the gate, let him in. They open the gate and Jesus steps in. I wonder if Jesus would have the same shock that the disciples had when he rose from the dead and not recognize the church because it's nothing like him. He's robed in glory. He's robed in righteousness and holiness and peace. Faithfulness is dripping from him. Perfect love never fails in him. It just flows out and out and out and out and out. And yet if we show him the church, would it look like that? Or would it look really religious, split, contentious, arrogant, self-exalting, demoralizing other people to put them down? Imagine Jesus seeing somebody here today, not speaking to a brother or sister. They sat in my seat last week. Jesus would look at you and go, what? You mean I went to the cross for that? I died. And you can't be bothered to die in the flesh? You can't be, di- you can't be bothered to die to your opinion, your wants and desires to love someone else and treat them the way I've treated you? Would the, church, would the Lord recognize his church? I have to say no, because he's more concerned with the heart than the height. He was after David, not Saul. He was after a man who was willing to repent and live in faith with God. No matter what his mistakes, he would honestly open up and share them with the Father and ask his forgiveness. Saul never saw his own own failures. He was arrogant. He never trusted God to do what God actually said. He would always do most of it, but never all of it. God is after the heart. He's after the intimacy. Would you stand with me? A testimony was given to me, golly, 1978. A letter written from some Christians in Russia under persecution. And they decided, about 20 of them, to meet in a house. And they were praying and reading the word of God together when all of a sudden there was a bang on the door and someone outside shouted, let us in! It's the state police or whatever they call themselves. And everybody in the room panicked because they knew that's death. Because all religious meetings are banned. But they couldn't not let them in, so they opened the door and let them in. Stand up against the wall! And they all had um, machine guns. And all the people stood up against the wall and said, you got one chance. Anybody willing to deny Christ, leave. Or face the bullet. And about 40% of the people in the room ran out. They ran out in fear. I'm not condemning them. That's what they did. They just ran out in fear. So the soldier said again, Okay, that means all of you are willing to die for this Jesus. So I give you one more chance. If you want to deny him, leave and save your life. And one or two more went, but nobody moved. None of the others moved. They stood against the wall. And he walked up with a gun, faced in their face, each one of them in their face, and said, do you mean to tell me you love Christ more than your life? And even though they were shaking, they said, yes, sir. And you, and you, and you. And when they all said yes, he said, close the door. They closed the door. He put the guns down and said, we're all Christians. All the soldiers were Christians. But they couldn't believe it. They said, why did you do that? He said, do you, do you really think we're going to risk our lives? And these other people, knowing we're soldiers, and the armed forces, and we're Christians, do you not realize if they find out we are, we're the ones that will have the bullet? But he found 30 people in that room who were willing to be martyrs. 
Well, I don't know about you, but the word martyr actually in the Bible never means someone's gone to a foreign mission field and has been killed because they're preaching the gospel. It just means someone who dies for their faith. You know, every time you deny yourself and your flesh to do what God said, you just were a martyr. You were martyred. You martyred yourself. You decided to die to let Christ live in you rather than you keep yourself and deny the Christ, his rightful place, which is to love through you. And a person that's not willing to lay down their life in that way is one who's never truly found the love of God because you can't love until you've first been loved. And your picture of him is wrong because when you know how much he loves you, when you know what manner of person he is, when you know the intimacy that can only come from him, when you know his tenderness and compassion and his loving kindness over and over and over in your life, you will turn around and start treating everyone else the same way because you can't not. It's not hard. It's not hard to love someone the way Christ loves because it's the spirit of Christ that's doing it in you. The hard part is to kill yourself off. Don't worry, God will have 25 Christians in your church who will help you. They'll irritate you. They'll speak badly of you. They'll be rude to you until you die. Till you die to that area and say, it matters not. What matters more is that the love of Christ in me is revealed through me. Because then the blessings can flow. Father, I don't just pray for fathers. I pray for mothers. I pray for wives. I pray for children and grandchildren. I pray for nephews and nieces, friends and relatives, siblings in the faith. I pray right now, all across this room, a move of your spirit will come to such a degree that somehow that measure of love that's been missing in so many lives is restored. And the connection is made. And that, Father, people will go to those who have offended them and put it right. And people will go to people who displeased them and put it right. And people will not take offense anymore, but they will choose, choose to do the God way than the man way. Because, Father, we want your blessing. We want all that you have for us here in Utopia for the days ahead. And if you can't reveal it in us, Lord, how will it be revealed in the world? So, Father, not by might, nor by power, by my spirit, in Jesus' mighty name. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. If this message was for you directly, come forward. Come forward. I want to just put my hand on you. I'm going to ask, no, I'm not going to put my hands on you. You're going to put your hands on him. The Father of the house. Don't let the devil steal that intimacy. Don't let the devil Break the chain of relationships in this family. Every church goes through stirrings, challenges. The idea is ignore them. Keep on doing what God told you to do. Don't get involved in someone else's battles. When someone's in a battle, do you know when you're in a battle and someone's offended you, sister? Do you know God's grace is there for you and will help you? But if I start taking on your offense, there's no grace for me. I've done what he told me not to do. It's yours. All I can do.
always help you and support you, but not take your offense. People have lost out in life because they took offense. But it wasn't theirs to take. It was somebody else's. But that person didn't take the offense. <laughs> How stupid are we? Pretty stupid. So I want to ask you, ask the Lord to forgive you. As Pastor Robert prays and just touches you. That's all this is about. It's, it's, it's the fob. It's the fob. It's just touching. There's nothing else to do. Just touching. And the Lord is going to do something mighty and amazingly right now. But forgive. Oh, by the way, would you pray for Jay, my friend? Because I have it in my heart. I told Gwen, I told Pastor Robert last night. I have this sneaky feeling. I've been waiting all this time, 20 years. And I believe he now wants me to go into the studio and do that album. With that. With, with Jay. But he's not ready. So pray. The Lord touches him. Father, we do. We pray for Jay right now. He will heal him and raise him up. Take all that offense and take all that brokenness out of your Father, we just thank you for total restoration and vision, a purpose and a peace that only God can give you. Amen. presence I love to dance here 
in your presence is the greatest romance. Here I know I'm chosen on purpose, not by chance, and can be who you said I could be. All you meant to me to be who you said I could be. Go to tell someone right now that you love them. And if your father is here, tell him right now. Tell him how much you love him and appreciate him. If your children are here, go tell them how much you love them and appreciate them. If they're not here, make a decision to phone them, write them, go see them, whatever you need to do. But tell them how special. I promise you, I've taught this all over the world and I've seen fathers and their children relationship restored when it was impossible because they did their part which was call things that are not as though they were tell your daddy tell your daddy because his heart is made to hear it and if you're a father tell your child because their heart was created to make it to, to receive it amen thank you jesus praise god awesome word amen you're blessed Amen. It's nobody like Pastor Wynn. Now listen, we're not doing services tonight because I know it's Father's Day and y'all want to go do things and bless your fathers. But uh, Wednesday night, we're doing a Wednesday night service. Amen. Did y'all get that announcement? Everybody know that? So we'd be doing a Wednesday night service. What time did we set? Seven. Seven o'clock Wednesday night, okay? Like normal. Wednesday night, Holy Ghost, Wynn turn loose service. Amen? Okay, but I want to give you an opportunity to, to, to give a, an offering this morning. So, ushers, help me right quick before we leave. If you want to uh, give an offering to bless the ministry, man, what? Oh, man, I'd love to see him in the studio. Amen? So, put your hand on your offerings. Let's bless and be a part. Father, I just declare right now in Jesus' name that, Lord, we're able to bless Pastor Wynn. I thank you. We set our agreement as a church with him right now to get in the studio, to get everything done, to get that album put out, Lord God, that you're going to arrange everything, that as you uh, bless this young man and get everything straight with him, Lord, you're going to make a way where there seems to be no way. But you are a miracle worker, and we praise you for it. So bless him, Lord, because we want to be a part of what's going on around the world in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, praise God. How many of y'all in here, you've ever been to Wales? Has anybody in here been to Wales? Got a few over here. Been over there. Got, see? Got two. Praise God. Ah, it's green. It's green. Yeah. Lots of rain. They have rain all the time over there. Lots of sheep. Lots of people. In close proximities to one another. <laughs> but, praise God. So stand to your feet, man. Look at somebody and say, what a blessing. 
So, Father, I just declare right now in Jesus' name, the Lord, as we leave, we go out into the world, I think you've set us free, that we are free so we can free others. And so, Lord, bless them. Pour upon them. Bless the fathers, Lord. Bless this day, and we give you all the praise for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church, and I'll see you Wednesday night.